This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. El futuro tiene nada más que la confrontación. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. I used to write a bunch of weekly columns for a bunch of internet places, and I would use those columns to put forth all sorts of crazy opinions. Then I'd come on this show to defend those opinions. But now, I don't do anything. Nothing at all. Joining me today, she is one of my co-hosts on the Unpops Everyday podcast, which you can get on patreon.com slash unpops. She's also a fantastic comic. Maybe you should see her tell jokes sometime once that's legal again. Ladies and gentlemen, Jen Scott. Also joining me, our next guest gets up to some questionable stuff online. And by that, I mean she edits a bunch of podcasts that you hear on this network. She's also making her first appearance on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, Jamie French. It's going to be a great show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host today, the loneliness of being locked down during a pandemic. My favorite co-host of all. But I do have some guests. Case in point, Jen Scott is here. Sup, pervs? I miss you. You smiled on Skype like you wanted to talk first. Oh, that, that's my resting face is smiling maniacally. <laughs> Everyone knows Jen Scott. She's my co-host on Unpops Every Day. One of them. And uh, she's been on the network a whole bunch. But also joining us, first time guest, Jamie French. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? We are doing great. I speak for me and Jen both. She's also doing fantastic. How are you? Tell people a little bit about yourself. Uh, uh me or Jen? About you. Me? Oh, well, I <laughs> no, feel yeah. so privileged. Tell people a little bit about Jen. <laughs> you, you know, as, <laughs> well, I'm a behind-the-scenes person for the network. I edit a lot of the episodes, and I feel highly unqualified <laughs> to, <laughs> be, to be on mic today, but I appreciate so much that you'd have me on. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm Jamie French and I think I, I, I'm thinking that you have me on because, uh, because of today's subject, it's kind of pertinent right. that I'm on. So I don't know. I don't know what the Venn diagram is between my audience and the Unpops Network's audience. Uh, but I am a, I'm a sex worker and I am a porn performer and Woo! I, yeah. And I do a lot of, um, I spend a lot of plates and I uh, uh, make a lot of my income doing editing and, and post-production for all kinds of different things, one of them being the uh, Unpop Network uh, uh, podcast. And so I, I don't know. I, I feel very um, 
uh, like very thankful that you'd have me on the podcast because I've been a huge fan of the podcast. I think ever since episode 33, <laughs> like I can pinpoint it. I've been a fan of the podcast for that long. I'm not as much of a fan of the podcast, but I do appreciate <laughs> you being on today. And yeah, both of our guests, I'm guessing will have a lot of input into what we're talking about today, which is censorship on the internet and how the internet, it's always been viewed as this thing that's like open and free and you can do whatever you want on the internet. And it's literally never been that way. Like not since the second we had internet was the internet ever free from being policed by the authorities. And it feels like it's getting worse now. Oh yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh fuck yeah, it is. They hate everyone and everything. As long as you are not owned by men or a corporation, they fucking hate you. Yeah. The internet's still cool for me because I'm a white dude and uh oh yeah (laughs) most things are still cool for me but uh the internet especially the way censorship is happening on the internet now it's really cracking down on marginalized groups and women especially and it feels like a thing that is a recent development but it's really been it's been happening for as long as like not as long as we've had the internet because some tech nerd is going to jump in and go, actually, the internet was developed in the 60s. and me, me, me. <laughs> When it was just code, nobody was censoring the code. <laughs> well, I was going to, real quick, I was going to be the asshole that jumped in and said, I, like, I was, I was 20 in the year 2000, and I remember there being a sense, there's this kind of nostalgic sense of the internet being a kind of wild west location. What I didn't know at 20 was that there were mechanisms put in place as far back as 1996 when I was a teenager and knew nothing about the internet. Um, I think like as like from the consumer side, there was an early time in the internet circa around 2000 where things were just like wide open. Social media wasn't even a concept. And just being able to, like, scout around and find things and use, like, rudimentary forms of search engines to, like, pinpoint your interest made the Internet feel as if it was a kind of Wild West kind of location. But knowing what I know now and and having the Internet be such a, uh, like, an integral part of the way I put a roof over my head and especially taking into consideration how I make my money while utilizing the internet, everything has changed about that like old concept of the wild west. (laughs) Yeah. I think the thing that made the internet have that wild west vibe to it in the early two thousands was file sharing where it was like, Oh shit, we are taking down the record companies. This is the revolution, baby. The revolution of Kazaa. Now it just ended with none of us owning any music anymore. <laughs> like everything <laughs> is on your computer and can be deleted at any second. That was that was the like the the kind of like golden bridge, like especially 2000, 2001 when Napster hit. There was this like romantic vision of the the white like Wild West, like romantic in hindsight. And then there was oh shit, like the internet not only can you like search for anything you want and there's no essentially no rules again as as far as the consumer side is concerned but now you can get 
free stuff the internet provides at no cost. You know, I remember being a 16-year-old kid in like 1996, 1995, being on the internet and being like a stupid teenager and typing in the internet was brand new and you type in like uh, on like Ask Jeeves, you type in free money. <laughs> free money. But then all of a sudden, four or five years later, literally you can get free music. Shit. Now, wow, wow, the internet provides. <laughs> One of the earliest ways the internet was censored or restricted is something i i'm old enough that i never i have literally never dealt with having to use a library computer to get on the internet and have to fight through those internet filters i feel like jen might be the only one Oh, yeah. I remember we learned the Dewey Decimal System in first grade, and then they were like, never mind. Here's a computer. <laughs> Learn this. <laughs> and we were just like, what? <laughs> and yeah, I remember like just um, trying to get around the the filters on the computers at school. I remember there was so many pranks that people did on those like library computers. Like I remember they changed all the file names to porn. <laughs> like that was a regular one. People got suspended for that. <laughs> Maybe you kids shouldn't have been on the computers. I don't think we should have. I think that we definitely should have. I remember thinking in high school that we should be monitored on these computers and nobody was. And yeah, just um, I feel like that's when censorship really started was when the people who were older started realizing that they were not smarter than the people who were using the, the things. Uh, may I ask around like what time was this? What year was this? I graduated high school in 2009. Oh, okay. So I had an elementary school was when we did the Dewey Decimal System and then it was just scrapped. <laughs> <laughs> Do libraries even still use that? I mean, they kind of have to. They've been married to it like so long. We see them as invisible because remember, it was just those big cabinet things with the tiny note right. cards in it. Right. And I feel like if I saw that in a library, I would walk past it without acknowledging its existence. I, I think they I think they probably still do exist, but they're just there as a matter of tradition. Mm hmm. I mean, we've all seen these things. Uh, we all seen Ghostbusters. We remember the opening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you asked a kid now what the Dewey Decimal System was, they'd be like, "Who's that?" Yeah. Is that a weather no, they just, thing? They pull up their phone and wiki it real quick, and then say, yeah. "Okay, boomer," and then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I love them for that. <laughs> yeah, the internet library filtering actually came about because of a federal law that was passed in 1996 called the communications decency act and what that did is it imposed sanctions on anyone this is the actual wording from it anyone who knowingly uses an interactive computer service to send a specific person or person's under 18 years of age or uses any interactive computer service to display in a manner available to a person under 18 years of age any comment request suggestion proposal image or other communication that in context depicts or describes in terms patently <sighs> offensive <laughs> as measured by contemporary community standards sexual or excretory activities or organs. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus. Organs. That's so many words. This mostly got shot down by the Supreme Court. The part where you 
cannot send pictures of your genitals or other people's genitals to children is still fully in effect. And that's fair. That's, yeah, definitely what we're shooting for is eliminating that. So this like this first kind of mutant of protecting the children, the language was so broad that it had to be pared down to what our next thing is, which is SIPA. Right. The indecent part of the first law is the one that was shot down. So the next attempt to restrict the Internet comes in 2000, and that's SIPA, which is the Children's Internet Protection Act. And this was like the last heyday of Clinton. Yeah, one of Clinton's last acts in office was to require porn sites to use age verification. Not a horrible idea. No, it's not the worst thing. (laughs) No. (laughs) Age verification is the funniest thing in the world, though, because I don't know any child who's ever clicked that they're not over 21 or over 18 <laughs> like you just click oh, no, yes no, no. and then it's, you're there <laughs> on a technical level it's completely unenforceable you still have to rely on like you know a parent's good judgment to keep an eye on their kids they won't. that's really what it comes down to <laughs> yeah and that's that's why that first law was shot down because it kind of took that decision out of parents' hands. Like it was it was the government saying what kids should and shouldn't read as opposed to parents. And this law that was signed in 2000, this is where the library filters came from because there was this setup at the time probably still in place where whenever you pay your internet bill, there's a little bit that goes into this fund that all sorts of organizations can access to get cheaper internet. And the government put a restriction in place that if you were a school or library and you accessed this cheaper internet, you also had to put filters on all of the computers. Yep. And I remember, like, I never dealt with them in school, but I had a few different office jobs that had filters on. And hands down, the funniest thing that ever happened in regards to that was at one point for it was just for a few hours but cracked the website i wrote for was blocked by demand media which is the company that owned it so inside our own office we could not access the website we were working on we could upload articles we could do all the back end stuff but if you went out to check your article and make sure it looked normal couldn't do it it was just shut down. When when uh, going through the, the research, I had a funny thought. I wondered if this also applied to the demo computers that would sit in places like Best Buy and Circuit City and shit. And- <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. There had to be a time where they were just bad at setting those up and they would just put a fully functional computer on a table. Because <laughs> I remember like, you know, uh, like going around and browsing at those places. And I think like one of the most lascivious things that I would do as a person in their early 20s was go, you just go to the computer and pull up paint and like draw a dick and just <laughs> set it as like the, the demo screen. Absolutely. I, I never... <laughs> it's a must. I would do that right now. If and you there was no pro- done that, you there was lived. no protections against that. Who was monitoring that shit? 
I just think it's crazy that, like, I don't know, schools would just, like, give you a computer to go internet on and not, like, have any restrictions at first. And then when they have restrictions, it's not by a human, it's by a system. And it's just, like, more, more and more and more ways for parents and teachers to not parent or teach. And that's just, like, the problem with censorship is that nobody wants to pay attention to their fucking kid, in my opinion. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's uh, I, I think it's indicative of people that have like an authoritarian mindset. If you give power to the people that say, hey, we have all the answers, you just let go and say, OK, you guys have all the answers. And so that lets me go and play bingo while my kid's on the computer because yep. you guys got this shit handled. Bingo is pretty great, though. I don't know if you've ever played, but <laughs> I can't recommend it enough. I love the people that are using the Internet to still just play like solitaire and bingo. <laughs> <laughs> They get it. (laughs) They get it. Yeah, the problem with the filtering software in schools especially is if it's like checking for the word sex, for example, like what about sex education and things like that? Like not everything that has the word sex in it. Like that could be a fucking Wikipedia article describing an animal. Yeah. Like that could be anything. And it, it blocks vital information that sometimes kids need. It kind of gave kids an excuse, though, because if they relied on their computers to do homework and they couldn't look up the word sex, then, hey, your late report or your late homework, you could blame it on the computer that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, and my mom and my dad, they don't I, I can't talk to them about this shit because they have been like, you know, told that uh, the government is going to take care of all this. So I don't get any useful for information from your computer or from my parents. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thing where like, I still can't talk to my mom about anything because it's all just like, it's a no, you know, all of anything, bodies or sex or whatever, it's a no. And I just feel like that mentality of that generation has just ruined the internet for the rest of <laughs> us <laughs> and accidentally created incels. Oh, yeah that too oh that's a whole other thing i didn't take into account but you're absolutely correct (laughs) oh i they love to hate me those incels (laughs) yeah one Uh, good thing that came from the communications decency act was section 230 which basically protects internet site operators from being prosecuted for the actions of people who use their site so the ceo of eBay isn't going to get arrested if someone tries to sell weapons on eBay. Exactly. If you if if you host a site, you're not going to be liable for like, you know, user generated content. It's essentially like the crux of 230. And it's been the the thing that has protected people running internet websites since 1996. And that all got challenged with another law that was passed in 2018 called SESTA-FOSTA. Yeah, here's where things get heavy. Yeah, this is a, it's one of those bills that acts like it's keeping people safe and it's doing the exact fucking opposite of that. I'm making a poop stink face so everyone knows. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also a direct attack on section 230 in that it threatens to prosecute any site operator that allows sex trafficking to happen on their website and just like school internet filters would catch 
actual uh, useful information in their filters and keep people from accessing it. What happened when this law went into place is pretty much any post relating to sex or sex work, consensual uh, sex work, they didn't differentiate that at all. So pretty much everyone just got sort of banned all at once. Oh, yeah. Sucks so hard. Well, this is essentially like older people's good intentions being put into place where the whole conceit was to protect children. That's really what it comes down to. And SESTA-FOSTA, the whole reason why it was written was as a reaction to a very specific complaint that was levied by a user of Backpage. Adam, do you know about this? Did you dive into enough? No. Tell me about it. Backpage was like the porn Craigslist type of thing, right? Well, it's no. Essentially, it was a, a clone of Craigslist. Okay. It was, you know, it was just a, it was exactly what it describes, Backpage. An online version of a Backpage ad, you know, like these weekly. Like classified ads. Like classified ads. Got and it. then yeah. and it, you have all these things, a lifestyle newspaper, essentially. Yeah. You'd turn it over and there'd be all these classified ads. And all these classified ads is how that rag generated revenue. Well, Backpage uh, was essentially an online version of the very things that they had in that rag, you know? Yeah. So, but what Backpage had and what they have in common with Craigslist was a section where you could go and hire escorts or masseuses or even blind dating gotcha. yeah. kind of thing. Forgive me for this, and maybe we have to edit in this information because I think it's pertinent, but I don't have it at the top of my head. But someone that was abused and their abuse was through a Backpage ad sued Backpage and said, hey, I answered an online ad through Backpage and then I was peddled through white slavery, essentially. And I'm going to fucking sue and I'm going to go to the courts. And I was underage and this is a whole big fucking kerfuffle. Yeah. And created a big fucking deal about it. And so through that, And this is all just like short shrift, you know, but the powers that be decided to put in place SESTA and FOSTA because of that and completely tore down Backpage and put everybody that falls under this huge, broad umbrella. uh, It just made a bunch of websites very, very careful because they were forced to be self-policed in order to distance themselves from what could potentially be seen as sex trafficking. Right. Am I wrong for thinking that the person who sued Backpage should have sued the people that were sex trafficking them? Well, me, you think so, but but what you can't, uh, like... Uh, geez. Like, is that a shitty thing? Is that a shitty thing to say? No, feel no, like- but but like when somebody abuses you, and I'm now now I'm speaking from my experience. When somebody abuses you, you can't find that person once they've you know right. got done with. But you, you mm-hmm. but you, what you want somebody to answer. So you yes. go to the people that facilitated. You know, you, you just go up the chain and say somebody needs to answer for this. So you go up the chain yeah. and you say, these people allowed this person to get me and they abused me and I'm not going to stand for it. And so I'm going all out. That's 
somebody with great ambition and somebody that's doing the right thing, but just through butterfly effect alone, that one action, that one trying to get your pound of flesh absolutely affected an entire subset of the population and mm-hmm. that sex workers at large, again, like everything that we're about to talk about with Sesta Fosta is predicated on best intentions, best interest. The, load yeah. that, the, the road that leads to hell. Yeah, it's one of those things. I talk about this all the time, but some of our worst precedents in terms of legal stuff are usually set when we're doing it in the name of protecting children. Mm-hmm. Right. The one I bring up all the time is Obama at one point prosecuted these three dudes who were part of a child porn ring and the point of the prosecution was he wanted to revoke their citizenship they had become naturalized citizens and he wanted to revoke their citizenship on the grounds that the crime they were involved in happened before they applied for citizenship and therefore they lied on their application and their citizenship should be revoked and we were all like yeah that's fine they're fucking child predators fuck them but then trump got in office and applied that same precedent to this 56 year old grandma who was living in miami whose boss at a company she used to work for ran this tax scheme and she just because she worked there was considered part of it so the fbi was like well if you take a plea deal you know you'll just get house arrest or probation and this will all be over and done with. And she did that and didn't think anything of it. And then Trump takes office and was like, nope, that crime that you were convicted of started before you applied for citizenship. So back to Guatemala you go. And Jesus, fuck. This is one of those things where it starts with good intentions, like seemingly with good intentions, because I sometimes wonder if it's really good intentions or if it's just seizing an opportunity to put something horrible in place that you can apply to people who deserve it a little less in the future. Well, I was going to say that, again, this is just a whole kit and caboodle of butterfly effect where Obama did what he did for his best intentions and had no way of knowing how what he put in place could be twisted and utilized for somebody like Trump's, you know, intentions. But it all kind of flies because uh, the the only thing that the, like us that have like you know an opinion to say, uh, we just hear all we hear is kids getting fucked, kids getting fucked, yeah, and that's the only thing we pay attention to. It really does appeal to people that have an authoritarian mindset of greatest good is the innocence of children, and the one thing that all parties can agree on is not wrecking children. So that's the only thing that anybody ever pays attention to, and nobody dives any deeper. So Obama had good intentions in a shitty way, and then Trump always just across the board has bad intentions. But so long as you say children, you get away scot-free. I think that the big problem in not even just censorship issues in this country and a problem across the board is that we are taught to think of everything as black and white. And that's how the law system works. There's black and white and every person is different and everything should be viewed as situational and like experiential. It depends on that person's situation and what they experience. And we don't have time to hear that. And so all we care about is this blanket statement, which I'm like, is blanket statement because children <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, just like we're throwing a Band-Aid on a problem. We're throwing a blanket over the problem to, like, soothe problems that are 
deeper than we're willing to go. And it's just not beneficial to anyone except for the people up top. I, I, I think political parties like prey on the knowledge that nuance is what none of us are good at at large. Did I get mine? If I got mine, fuck everybody else. And Am I in the right? You know, like as long as I'm doing the right thing, doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It's just frustrating to see laws that are supposed to help children affect people who are just trying to make their living. And without knowing anything, how would you ever connect those two things? Like that sounds so crazy. Protecting children versus people not having jobs or not being able to do their jobs. What? You know, it just like doesn't add up to me. And I don't think that any of the authority in this country or probably a lot of places gives a shit about each person's experience and situation in their lives. They give a shit about them looking good and right. I, I think we can put a finer point on this uh, by Adam. If if you can give us sort of the fine points of SESTA-FOSTA and then I can jump in and give you some like real world examples. A move like this again seems like there's good intentions like let's protect or let's stop sex trafficking but when it comes to people doing consensual sex work anywhere but online also it's safer if that can happen somewhat in the open and right the people you're interacting with if you can vet them somehow like even i think it was in germany they had a a lot of prostitution on the street and they were like all right we're not going to criminalize that, but what we will do is we're going to set up these fucking like trailers off in the middle of a field and you can just go do your work there out of the view of the public. And it's like, cool, but that makes everyone way less safe because now no one can see what's happening and no yeah. one can really monitor it. And even with Backpage and Craigslist, like fuck the police forever and always, but they were part of that group that was monitoring those sites for sex trafficking and it just like taking that site away even made it harder for the police to stop this shit and it ends up making everyone significantly less safe and that's the thing that i can speak to as a sex worker i've been a sex worker for 15 years i started when i was 25 i'm 40 years old now and i'm a continuing sex worker and i gotta preface what i'm about to say with this. I can't speak for all sex workers. I can only tell my particular story. And I got to tell you, when Sesta Foster went to place in February of 2018, I was not aware of it. I was busy trying to keep a roof over my head. I was not paying attention to the mechanizations of politics. What I did see right away was my main source of generating income building capital and putting a roof over my head had gone away. Backpage had gone away. And I got to tell you, we freaked the fuck out. Sex workers, we freaked the fuck out. Now, to be fair, I am a professional sex worker. I don't do what I do out of a sense of desperation. I'm not a hard luck story. I'm a self-actualized adult that made a very conscious decision about being in sex work. And when Backpage went away, I freaked the fuck out. But I freaked the fuck out very shortly because the larger ramifications of Sesta and FOSTA didn't really affect me. I was much more pragmatic. I said, well, what can I do to get around this? If Backpage isn't a thing that I can rely on, because of Sesta and Fosta, what can I do? 
what I do, I do what the fucking the whole Sesta Fosta thing doesn't account for. I advertise on a site that's run through uh, the EU. Other countries can pick up the slack. And that is to say that no matter what Sesta or Fosta proclaims to be doing, no matter what these intentions are in America, no matter what they want to do, what they can't stop is the demand for the product. And so I still am able to advertise. I'm still able to advertise, and as slick as I am trying to find a way to advertise my services by going outside of the jurisdiction of SESTA-FOSTA, my clientele are every bit as hip as I am. We all just eventually, within the course of a couple of months, while the rigmarole is going on, we're not necessarily concerned about the larger ramifications of SESTA-FOSTA. We're just trying to keep business going as usual, and we all wind up on the same plate. So we all know to go to that specific site that's run by the EU. And so I just want to I just want to from a sex worker's point of view, I mean there are more politically minded and more activist kind of sex workers that dove deep into Sesta and Fosta. Not only to like state their case and you know present how large and how weighty it was by giving evidence about the overall ramifications of SESTA-FOSTA, but as a workaday sex worker, we just simply circumvented it. That's what makes me question the motives of this law. The people who wrote it have to know it's not actually going to stop any of the things that it's claiming to stop and is actually going to make them harder to stop and harder to track. And that's what makes me feel like this law wasn't really intended to protect anyone it was just intended to chip away at that section 230 thing a little bit more it's the same thing with the kids in the library like we were talking about like the people who are up top making these laws don't understand that the people below them are gonna figure out a way to still change all the file names to porn like it's not like we're gonna not figure it out it's just like you need to be more conscious of the people you're trying to police look at their lives and see, oh, these people aren't sex traffickers. Doing sex work can be very wholesome. For me, it's a very wholesome thing that I do. Like everyone that I work with is extremely respectful. Everyone that I work with is super nice and just like wants someone who's going to reciprocate that. And it's not something that's like dirty or makes me feel shameful. And it's just really upsetting that people try to put that on everyone like if you're a sex trafficker you are also a sex worker like no those people are so different i think the people that put these laws into place don't even consider and i I mean that's obviously the point they don't consider sex workers as viable members of society Uh, we are we are easily thrown away collateral damage because fuck up i mean you know oh they're gross They're gross. They do sex stuff. They're nasty people that do nasty things. So they're not even worth our consideration. And so we are essentially collateral damage. And yet we are here struggling and saying, we're people. Hey, we're fucking people. We're fucking people. And all this comes down to people's icky thoughts about what sex is. If you're a sex worker and I'm a sex worker and we do this, consciously and safely we are predisposed it's part of our nature it's part of our makeup to not think of sex there's nothing inherently wrong with sex and that's why we do the job that's what enables us to do jobs that we do 
But for so many people and so many people that are in a position of power ha- literally have that that passed on down tradition of sex is a sacred thing. And if you do anything other than what the Bible tells you, you're gross and you're disgusting and you are below. You're not a citizen. We're, we are the latest versions of second class citizens not taking into account people that are already marginalized that are doing sex work, which is people of color and trans folks like me. We get the shortest shrift, which means that we have to – I'm like so fucking off the grid and because that's a matter of survival. Like a, a good example of how little this country values sex workers. Like think about – serial killers like who do they predominantly kill is prostitutes and like every fucking podcaster has a list of their 10 favorite serial killers it's like come on right have a list of your 10 favorite prostitutes come on exactly (laughs) (laughs) but that's really in a roundabout way yeah it's really fucked up that we're glamorizing serial killers before sex workers that's the the wholesome shit that i'm talking about like we glamorize the wrong people and, uh, and it actually totally makes sense because what are, serial, what are serial killers and what are sex workers? One is violence. One is sex. We have an MPAA rating. What does the MPAA rating fucking favor? Violence over sex. Absolutely. <laughs> the things I see on Instagram that are so much worse than anything that has gotten deleted from my account is – just so ghastly like the things i've reported that they have told me is not violating any terms and guidelines hurts my feelings somebody said that feminism is cancer and they didn't think that that was hate speech we should talk about that next that's another crazy way the internet is being censored right now well first there was the tumblr porn fiasco oh god where tumblr just deleted all porn altogether and it fucking wrecked that company like they were the the whole tumblr thing that we have in our notes which is the thing that we're going to get to it's simply just a manifestation it's just reactionary to sesta fosta yeah and thanos it they were just like bye (laughs) yeah and they thought they were going to survive it and uh they were valued at one billion dollars at one point and most recently, they were sold for $3 million. Mm-hmm. Bummer. Yeah, getting rid of porn fucked them up. So then lots of people moved on to Instagram and sites like that. And now Instagram is not just shadow banning people, but just banning people. Jen, talk about your experience on Instagram. You wrote an article. Okay, I'm rubbing my hands together to get warmed up. So I have been deleted from Instagram six times. I am a comedian as well as a sex worker. And I had this account that was very funny called Jen Scott Needs Attention, which was basically a joke and a parody on Instagram models and like all of that, but still at the same time doing wholesome things like selling photo sets of lewd pictures of myself of like funny concepts or just like something that I thought was hot, whatever. And I had a Twitch channel that I smashed a butt that I made out of clay with my butt. So very high art, okay? Like very very important work. And um, immediately got banned from Twitch for three days, which like not a big deal, whatever. And the problem is, is that some little fucker clipped that 
put it on Reddit and was like, look at this stupid bitch doing stupid bitch shit. I'm tired of these quote unquote titty streamers ruining Twitch. And that blew up. And so I had all these fucking incels on my page reporting every single thing I did and every single post I've made. My name, Jen Scott, is flagged on Instagram. I cannot make an account that is my name. It's crazy the things that I've done to try to just even hear a reason of why I've been deleted. Because I really wasn't posting any nudity, any anything that would have crossed a guideline. Like, I also feel like butts don't count, by the way. Like, butts <laughs> just don't count. Like, <laughs> you can show a butt. Am I right? Like, You should be able to show a butt, yeah. Butts have been around. And also, butts are, like, number one prank thing. Like, what do you do? You show someone your butt. You moon them. That's been around forever. Come on. Hey, so long as it's a dude's butt. So long as it's a white dude's butt, it's as fine long as because it's a white, white dude's dude butt, butt. Are funny. Yes, but if it's if it's a lady butt who's also trying to make a joke, it's not allowed and it's not funny. It's a stupid bitch thing to do. And so basically, I've um, tried to contact Instagram in every way, shape, or form. I've sent probably uh, thousands of emails. There's no one who works in customer service at Instagram. There's not a single person. It's all ad- automated. They don't care about any problems that happen to anyone on Instagram. Yeah, and when they're not directly deleting or banning accounts, they claim this doesn't happen, but there's this thing called shadow banning where <laughs> your posts still show up for people who follow you, but they don't show up for anyone else. People can't search your posts. And they claim this doesn't happen, but it fucking definitely happens. And again, it mostly happens to women and marginalized groups. It doesn't really, again, impact this guy. Like, I don't know what I could do on Instagram to get banned. I feel I should try it. I you should, should try I it. should try to get suspended from Instagram for a week. I feel like I probably couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, it would probably be hard, and I'm so well. But the fact day. is, the kind of uh, honestly, Adam, the kind of content you put out does it wouldn't just by its very nature, it wouldn't fall under the umbrella of Sesta Fosta, which is well, why yeah, shadow that. bans uh, occur. Uh, like as Jen said, and she gave her story. My story is very similar. I had two accounts on Instagram. One. I had garnered 60,000 followers, and this only mattered to me insofar as that it could help my career because Instagram is a huge social media account. And so, if I mean, if it wasn't for my work, I would have no use for Instagram. I don't give a shit about Instagram, but it really does help the, the business. It really does. It really does. It does. Because I, I'm in a position of, you know, selling an image and creating a personality. And th- that's what people respond to. Like, uh, like my job is to placate people's kind of base instincts. I want to do it as healthy as possible. I don't want to do it in a way that, you know, puts anybody in harm's way. Of course, I have a code of ethics, but that's essentially my job. And Instagram was great for it and it was the leading platform that like cast the biggest net to you know gain followers and I played by the rules as much as I could when I had my 60,000 follower account that account was so useful to me because you get over 10,000 followers well you get you get uh, influencer like privileges 
which means that you can create links to sell things with your post. And I had, and I still do to this day, you know, I'm selling wet lubricant, you know, as a brand. I'm selling uh, all kinds of different toys. I have all these promotional brands that really do help put a roof over my head because I have these accounts, I can help sell their product and I need that influencer status in order to do that. And my account at 60,000 followers about a year ago got knocked the fuck down because of SESTA, FOSTA. And it was it was so disheartening that I let about a year go by before I said, fuck it, I have these accounts. If, if I will lose these promotional accounts, if I can't promote them in a way that is that cast the widest net. So I started yeah. up again. You know what happened? Within the first month that I uh, started this new Instagram account, I got up to 14,000 followers putting me back in influencer status. But the moment I hit 14,000 followers, something happened. It leveled off. It plateaued. Mm-hmm. I was no like they gave me about a month. I was flying under their radar for about a month and then they cut off. I, I stopped gaining followers. I was just starting to get brand work when I started getting deleted and I was just starting to get promotions and my account was really exponentially growing every day and I could see it happening. And then I got deleted and it was impossible for my following to continue to try to find me. It was like literally trying to play cat and mouse with people that were just trying to support me. And it was so difficult. I've cried so much over this. Like it's, so painful that no one gives a shit about your well-being and your business with this like because i was just doing like the best i could i can't use hashtags anymore if i use a hashtag i'm for sure getting shadow banned like there's no way for me to grow my account except for having other people support me and shout me out and even then they've gotten posts taken down where they just support me because it's me i posted a, a video of this girl that i know who's also a sex worker she's an amazing stripper and she posted this awesome video of her stacking cards on her butt like a uh, like a house, house of cards. Oh, no, dollar bills on her butt like a house of cards. Amazing. I've shared her post and got threatened to get deleted. And her post is still up. Like, thank goodness for her. But, like, I can't have butts. I'm not allowed to have butts. Everyone else can have butts. I can't. <laughs> it's just, like, so stressful. The hashtag thing is really interesting because that's one of the ways they sort of ban people without banning them is they block certain hashtags and i found a list of the hashtags that are banned as of march 2020 and they're fucking insane it's absurd my favorite one is desk yeah let's i'm just gonna read through them alone ass day beauty blogger but beauty bloggers still works bikini body boho Brain, costumes, curvy girls, date, dating, desk, DM, <laughs> elevator, graffiti tigers or graffiti IGers. Hard work pays off, but hard work pays off with a flexing bicep still works. Happy Thanksgiving hump day. iPhone graffiti. Fuck you. That should be banned. Italiano, Kansas. I'm fine with that. Kansas can be banned. <laughs> But Kansas City still works. I'm also fine with that. Great city. Uh, Killing it. Kissing. Master. Models. Must follow. Nasty. New Year's. (laughs) New Year's Day. Petite. Porn food. Push-ups. Salt water. Shit. Shower. Single. Single life. Skype. Snap. Snapchat. Snowstorm. 
so pretty stranger street photo sunbathing swole tag for like tan lines teens fought undies valentine's day and workflow what the fuck also, it's the wrong kind of thought too right like you'd think that thot would be banned but it's actually like thinking thought that is banned. <laughs> yeah, also like teens is on there but children is not like if anyone's searching the hashtag children they should be arrested immediately like well, no one's searching that well, the, uh, one of the things that you'll find is like this. Oh, well, yeah, it, assholes will say this. Assholes will say, well, d- you know, if you just play by the rules, then you won't get banned. You know, if you just if you just not follow the, the T.O. It's not true. And even if you did to the utmost of your ability follow the rules just by the utilization of hashtags or just because the angle of your camera was just so that like the the robots picked your fucking picture out and just because you have your name just because of your brand jen you know this you're gonna get canceled and then there's that thought well there's that reactionary thought of well then we'll just okay then we'll just like create a whole new Twitter that's for us. And you can't do that. You can't do that. There's no other alternative that will help your brand out, even if you're working within the confines of the TOS, that will, you know, help keep a roof over your head in a way that a platform like Instagram will do. And that's because Instagram, you know, or part and parcel of uh, Sesta Fosta and it's like generally like you there's no other platform there's no other thing that can rise to the occasion and create the kind of coverage that you'd need that would be equal to what uh, Instagram could offer you without fighting Sesta Fosta. Like I've seen it. I've seen people try to make it. I've seen people say, well, we're going to create a form of Instagram that's all about sex workers. But the thing is, sex is so it's it's like so shameful that and it's so like illicit that like that's the selling point so it's sparsity is the selling point but nobody's gonna go out of their way to join a platform that's specifically for sex they're just gonna hope that it happens on their timeline on a trusted institution like twitter or instagram and that's where we have to be we have to be where normal people do shameful things in tiny little slivers because if you make something that's purpose-built it's not gonna work because then then those people like you're you're just going to get weirdos that like hey I joined up for this weird spe- sex specific website and they don't spend money and like all the shame's taken away and I'm I hate to say it but shame is a large part of what selling is for sex work like I I'd love to envision a future where shame wasn't a part of what made a thing so spend moneyable on but rarity and specificity is how we make our money and that only works in context and the context is something that's illicit in a broader view so we literally rely on twitter and instagram i think that shame will always inherently be a kink but like i don't think that um sex work 
should be shameful. No, like, of course. That's the that's it's okay the main to have, it's okay to like be into shame, but the people that are shaming you shouldn't have to receive that shame. <laughs> Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like not that's not how shame works. And I'm not ashamed of anything that I do. And I don't think that I ever have been. And it's gotten in trouble. It's got me in trouble since high school. Like the first time I was censored, I was uh, suspended from school because I posted a picture in the girls locker room that I took on MySpace and I got suspended from school and there was nobody naked. There was nothing, anything wrong. It was just the fact that I couldn't take a picture of myself in the locker room. And like, that's where it all started. And as, as innocent as, as that is, like, I don't feel any shame about doing that. You know, like it's, it just feels like punishment for the sake of punishment a lot of times. And that's what this all comes down to as reiterated time and time again, through this particular episode, this all comes down to shame. My problem with, um, and I wrote that article, it's called, Instagram deleted me in my whole whole life or something like that. And it's on salty.com if you want to read it. But the thing that really gets to me, and it was really hard for me to write that article because at least for me when I'm writing, I want a, a call of action to happen in, in the writing. And when I was writing that, I was like, this has no end. This has no call to action. And I realized that the call to action is all we can do, which is screaming into the void, which feels yeah. so harmful to us because it it just feels like, you know, when you have an argument and the other person just walks away, like you want to say what you want to say and there's no one to listen. There's no one that will care except for the other people who are going through it. And we don't have a solution as a group of people. We don't have a solution. I've talked to so many girls. I've talked to so many guys. I've talked to everybody. And it just seems like we have to do a class action lawsuit and like the work that goes into that is so much more work than anyone's willing to do. It's just so hard. And I don't know what the call to action is. Like, just screaming? I just don't know. I think the call to action is Jesus Christ. I don't think there is a call to action, right? honestly. Exactly. I, I, well, but, but, but th there is a... Hey, butts are what got us in this trouble. There is a kind of there is a kind of unfulfilling but silver lining to this dark cloud, and that is at this time while we're trying to figure out a call to action, we do need to take a step back and realize that we are in the midst of a certain amount of progress. We wouldn't be talking about any of this ten years ago. And the reason that we're able to speak mm -hmm. about this is because there is an amount of progression that's been happening. I don't think that we're going to be able to find any of the satisfactory answers that we're looking for in our time. I think we would be well to do to keep a broad point in view and say that we are the soldiers for a better tomorrow. All the things that we're struggling with right now is exactly what needs to be done so that other people in the future can have a better tomorrow. And those of us that are essentially as adept to our situations currently in the moment, we'll find a way. It sucks that we have to essentially be society's cockroaches, but cockroaches find a way. We'll essentially be okay, but our broader plans for a better future I don't know that they'll be realized in our timeline, but so long as we fight the good fight, we procure a better future for tomorrow's sex workers or 
people of margin. I, yeah, I that, do feel like it's uh, it's like a we're a part of a rebellion, and that that feels good. And like I do have a handful of other sex workers and other like-minded people that will support me no matter what, and I'm super thankful for them. And it really just is like one of those things where you learn who your like real friends and real supporters are because they'll follow you regardless of what happens or where you go. And so there is that element of it where it's just like, I'm very thankful for everything that has led me to this point, but I just feel like it shouldn't have had to be such a dark battle for everyone involved and censorship just really hurts everyone. There's no like, bright side to it for me like i'm sure it's helped with sex trafficking but i know that sex trafficking is still happening so like has it has it (laughs) right so we should probably get to the last part of the podcast i feel like they're kind of related and that is the push to ban conspiracy theories especially on (laughs) youtube it doesn't feel that different to me it doesn't It's just people having opinions that they're not allowed to share. I think Alex Jones is a, I hate to say it, like he's a, he's a fucking awful person. Like Alex Jones is not great, but history is littered with people like Alex Jones and we handled it fine. And I'm sorry, but the way Alex Jones was banned from the internet is alarming to me because it happened all across the internet on all of these sites all at the same time. And there wasn't any sort of government action that dictated that. But someone said something to those companies and was like, hey, if you don't ban this dude, there's going to be ramifications. And like, I get the impulse to want to shut down stuff like that. And there are things Alex Jones has done that are not just worthy of being uh, ostracized, maybe banned, but maybe even prosecuted. But that's the problem. What Alex Jones did that ended up getting him banned from all of these sites was libel. It wasn't hate speech. He implied that Sandy Hook parents were fucking faking what happened at Sandy Hook. And yeah, that's fucked up, but that's like libel. That's defamation. That's not hate speech and the only site that actually pushed back against that was twitter and i find it really ironic that now twitter is the site that since this happened we've all come to be like ban the nazis jack and like his stance has always been you know that's kind of the media's job it's sort of the media's job to dispel the information that's being put out there And for a long time, that was like a liberal talking point. Like that was how people on the left approached free speech. And now it's more, no, we should just shut that down. And that is dangerous. It's also just not how life works. Like you're always going to have to hear other people's opinions if you disagree with them or not. Like no one should be policing opinions. Right. And the, the push to do that is really alarming to me because where does it end? Like right now we might be successfully pushing YouTube to ban, you know, COVID-19 conspiracy theories. But what happens when like, I don't know, Joe Biden is president and everyone in the country is really unhappy about that on both sides. Like, how are we going to control information on YouTube 
when it comes down to, hey, most of the country hates this government and wants it fucking overthrown right goddamn now. Once you have a public that is in favor of, oh yeah, I don't agree with that. That shouldn't be on YouTube. That's when you're going to get all these centrist fucks who think Joe Biden is the future while two other sides of the country are fucking burning. Those people in the middle are going to be like, yeah, those two sides are bad for the country. Socialists and white nationalists both. We should just silence all of that. And then we in the center will just get to control YouTube. Okay, so I'm probably going to say some dumb shit, but let me say some dumb shit for a second. I think somebody like Alex Jones is essentially seen by the public at large as somebody who's inconsequential and somebody that because he's inconsequential, he has no actual power, but says a lot of very divisive things. Well, that's a person that we can lay judgment on. And uh, social media is a perfect platform by which we could have an effect on somebody that has like very decisive things. We can, it's essentially a, it's an episode of Black Mirror where we get to have an effect on somebody that just has bullshit things to say and we can downvote him into obscurity and feel that we have done something we took alex jones down by a series of thumbs down you know in a way that we can't necessarily do with trump and because people are simple again this is a sense of nuance the libel thing nobody gives a shit about the libel thing because then you got to look up court reports then you got to like look at you know oh well what's go what does libel mean nobody gives a shit about that part people give a shit about alex jones says some rough things and is essentially a joke in the zeitgeist so we're just gonna thumb down him and we're gonna say fuck him but we don't apply those same measures to somebody that is actually destructive like somebody like trump who's essentially alex jones yeah and the problem with banning people like alex jones or even there was that fucking incel board that got shut down on either reddit or 4chan the problem with that is it works in the reverse of the sex worker thing where an action like that is meant to keep us safer from these fringe conspiracy groups but what it really does is sends them deeper into the internet to places where we can't really monitor them anymore like alex jones still has a website like alex jones actually like what these social media platforms did for alex jones is kind of put him in a position where he just has to rely on his own infrastructure and we'll net we can't take that from him like is that going to be the next push where we're like hey alex jones can't operate a website on the internet like that's a real slippery slope and it like banning him from or banning anyone like him from you know these sort of public social media spaces and forcing them to kind of insulate and go to their own spot it's counterproductive I don't know, Adam. I don't know that it's a matter of what. I think it's a matter of why. And I think this is one of these tiny slivers of being progressive that I have hope for the future in. It's not just that people have laid waste to Alex Jones. People lay waste to Alex Jones because of what he said. And I know that a precedent is being made where the other side 
can can you know, like say, well, they did that to Alex Jones, so you know, here's the other side of it. I trust in human beings to go, hey, somebody who's like crazy fucking opinions is based on hating the other who's based on like it's I don't think it's as bad as you think it is the way it's happening can create worry for setting up precedent here's the thing I'm not arguing for Alex Jones as a person and I get that people have have every right to reject what he says but that's the thing people have every right to reject what he says it's not a whole lot unlike taking the power to search for the word sex out of kids hands or taking the right of a parent to tell their kids what they should and shouldn't read out of their hands and putting it in the government's hands and what is really alarming about it is we did that and everyone was like cool yeah fuck alex jones but then it shifted into just conspiracy theories in general and i'm sorry that's a huge fucking problem because a conspiracy theory is a conspiracy theory as long as it's not proven true. Once it's proven true, it's not a fucking conspiracy theory anymore. Saudi involvement in 9-11 was a huge conspiracy theory for years and years and years. And then 26 pages of the 9-11 report got declassified. And sure enough, Saudi Arabia was involved in 9-11. Conspiracy theories can be true. You know, but for all of those years before that was declassified, if you were on the Internet talking about it, you were spreading a conspiracy theory. So when we start criminalizing the idea of just spreading conspiracy theories, it's that same broad language that ends up being a problem whenever we try to censor anything, because like Watergate was a conspiracy theory fucking like MK Ultra was a conspiracy theory. So if we criminalize conspiracy theories and you're reporting on this shit on YouTube and at some point the government goes, yeah, you know what? You can go to jail for that. What happens when what you were saying turned out to be true? Well, okay, uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but wh- when you got a person like uh, Alex Jones and you're, you're talking about, again, maybe I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, but the criminalizing is just what we're talking about is a matter of public opinion. We're just talking about people downvoting him into obscurity. And the one legal ramification they had was libel. And like fucking anybody can be like liable for libel. And that's going to be taken care of in the courts. I was building up to the end of the notes, which is that the FBI just recently classified QAnon and Pizzagate conspiracy theories as domestic terror threats. So how far does something like that go because that's based on one guy showing up at a pizza place with a gun and now fringe conspiracy theories are a domestic terror threat so if something like that catches on which in this fucking climate in this country that could absolutely catch on on both sides where people are like yeah you know what if you're spreading misinformation you should fucking go to jail and then Who decides what's misinformation? Exactly. Right now, people on the right are pushing for anyone who pushes Russia probe information to be banned as conspiracy theorists. Like, it makes sense now in the context of Alex Jones and in the world we're living in, 
But it's another one of those things where you have to look down the road, whose hands is it going to be in and what are they going to use it for? Just like Obama's fucking immigration policy. Like we didn't give a shit when it was Obama and now it's in Trump's hands and it's a fucking disaster. Like, oh man, uh, Adam, I, I uh, and I, please educate me because I'm not a political person. Honestly, I'm not. But I would say our we as people that care about what the fuck is going on, are we guilty of being reactionary to reactionary happenings? Yeah. I mean, possibly, but it still doesn't mean you should go to jail for conspiracy theories. No, absolutely not. No, but I don't think that's I don't think that's I think that's a thing that's not going to last. I think it's like it's a really novel thing, which is why it's interesting to talk about. But I don't think it's going to be a thing like I'm 40 years old. You're 40 something years old. But you know what? Honestly, dude, we get to sit here and podcast no matter what awful. That's what I'm saying. We get to do it for now. Like that is that is where these fucking laws go. And it's like especially right now with this coronavirus outbreak, we're just we're going to give away so much just so we can go to baseball games in July. Like, we are going to let the government monitor our phones indefinitely so we can get ourselves out of this. Like, we are already giving away so much. It feels like a dangerous time to also be like, yeah, if the government says it's not true, then we should just ban it on YouTube. That's dictatorship. Yep. Jen, what's your take? My take is that it we shouldn't be policing people's opinions unless those people. Okay, so I'm gonna use the same rule that I use in stand up, whereas no punchline should be harming a person or a group of people. That like words they can be harmful, but like you need to just again look at everything as a situation and experience that's different for every single person. So like if you're threatening to kill a group of people yeah absolutely that should be shut down if you're theorizing that a group of people disagrees with something that you think then that's not harming them you know what i mean it's a discussion and i think that's a big problem is that we view discussions as like again right and wrong there's no like middle ground where you can just look at somebody's actual life and opinions and make a just decision like i've been in too many twitter fights where people have just flipped on me because I have said one thing and they decided that it means some, like something completely different. So the discussions that we have between people are important, but people don't listen anymore. And so like the conspiracy theories need to be out there for the fact that people need to hear them. And if it's hurting people or if it's hurting someone or if it's harming humans, no, like, no, get it out of there. But there should be some sort of policing of that that's different than just shutting down people's opinions. It worries me that once we went from Alex Jones to conspiracy theories, now it's just, well, spreading misinformation is a problem. It feels to me the same thing as saying we have to protect kids from indecency. It's like, okay, well, what do you mean by indecency? Or what do you mean by misinformation? Who is the arbiter of truth who decides what is information and what's misinformation? Because just a reminder, Trump is our president. Like, yeah. While we're pushing... If he's the decider, we're fucked. If he's the decider, we're fucked. <laughs> okay, so what I'm hearing here is, is this an appeal to authority by saying who says what? 
I think I have a little more trust in people as a general. I like I feel that we do live in a society and our existence is predicated upon people interactive, like people being interactive. That we say the worst of the people are people that trust in a leader. It's tribalism. If you mean appeal to authority, as in I'm asking for authority's help, it's the exact opposite. I don't want the authority's help. YouTube can effectively police misinformation on their own site without us calling for shit to be banned. I think they do a decent job of it already, but it feels like we're just moving in a direction where we're going to start labeling things misinformation or conspiracy theories, and they just get shut down on all the platforms where information like that would spread. And I'm sorry, sometimes those conspiracy theories aren't conspiracy theories. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they're not, true. but let's let's uh, just not to fuck you up, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say something that is probably interesting. Um, like, what's the takeaway from conspiracy theories? Because I know, uh, let me speak for a second. I am the antithesis of a lot of your shows as far as my opinion is concerned, because I don't believe or not. That's a I shouldn't say that. It's not that I don't believe in conspiracy theories. It's that I don't I don't give them shrift. See, that's that's the problem. That oh, is, I know. That is I know. The, no, I know. that is the exact problem, because we have applied the term conspiracy theory so broadly where all you have to do is say that's a conspiracy theory. And people like you and a lot of people like you will immediately go, all right, I'm tuned out. And that is a huge problem because sometimes these aren't conspiracy theories. Sometimes it's just information. And if we shut down the people who are doing that extra research and looking into these things and sometimes exposing really fucking huge things like the Panama Papers, would have been a conspiracy theory until it was proven. Watergate, so many things we could in this environment just go, that's a conspiracy theory, bury it on YouTube. Yeah, I think that's another problem. You know, blanket statements again is conspiracy theories when it comes to anyone who disagrees with what the norm of believing is. So like if you're believing one thing and you hear something completely different, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. Like, that's not necessarily true, but that's what we've labeled it as because authority most likely wants you to believe what they're putting out there and not anything else. Well, it's it's the most effective way to fight a conspiracy theory. You just right. kind of demonize the entire concept of thinking outside of what the government has told you is true. Can I interrupt and give you the perspective of why a person doesn't necessarily give a shit about conspiracy theories. Define conspiracy theories before you you go on. Yeah. Uh, uh, A conspiracy theory is a, a group of people that are putting a plan in place in order to gain access and an unfair advantage to what is essentially going to harm a large group of people at large. And you think that doesn't happen? I absolutely think that happens. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that as a person that says, I don't give a shit about conspiracy theories, it's not that I don't care. It's that I know 
that if I hear stories about conspiracy theories, I know that there's only one thing I could possibly do. Like when I hear about conspiracy theories, I think that is a thing that is meant to drive anger or press my buttons. And I don't want my buttons pressed. I don't give a shit about anger. What I give a shit is about the end result. Sure, I concede there are conspiracy theories. Sure there is. People in power do awful things and they do them in, behind closed doors. I understand. But I live a simple life. I can't do much about it, even if I know about it. The only thing I have in my power is the ability to vote. And that's as much as a simple, stupid person like me can do. So the only thing about knowing about conspiracy, conspiracy theories tells me is like the dopamine rush I can get about being angry about something that's completely outside of my power. So I, 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 I just I let it go altogether and just say, I assume that people are doing awful things. And the only power that I have is the power to vote. And see, what you're describing is not an appeal to authority. It is an acquiescence to authority. Like, yeah. think about the fact that I believe six Ferguson activists have been murdered since all of that happened. And it's easy for you or me or Jen to say, ooh, that gives me the negative feels. And I don't want to have those feelings. But that doesn't mean someone shouldn't be looking into it to see if there's a little something more there. We can't have that true crime fantasy of there's no such thing as coincidences. But then in situations like this, well, it's just a coincidence. Like the government of Missouri isn't going to fucking look into that. Like that's going to yeah. take people on the ground looking into it, finding information, probably more of them will be murdered. But eventually, if enough research and investigation is done, we might fucking get somewhere. And then we'll take it to YouTube and people will go, shut up. That's a conspiracy theory. You know, hearing what you said has put some things into perspective. And I'm so glad that we've had a chance to talk about this. I, I guess I want to know what the appeal of paying attention to conspiracy theories are. But I mean, doesn't essentially truth. I, of course of course but doesn't essentially it come down to what you can do about it as an individual as a person that cares as a person that's paying attention at the end of it isn't it what you can do about it you don't know what you can do about it if you don't look for the problem oh we're yeah, given okay maybe is. maybe maybe i spike a whole other conversation i don't want to give you the impression that i don't give a shit about conspiracy theories i realize how important they can be and and the kind of information that they can lend to us but maybe the maybe another point of conversation is well if all we can do is vote about it like we can take in the information people that care we can make we like take it in for but what can we do about it except like just be angry about it and talk about it what can we actually well here's my do? question what happens when voting isn't enough that's the thing that i'm that's the thing that i'm getting to is voting not enough no i don't think voting is enough in a lot of cases what do we do from also, there okay here hold on my idea okay so Take away the word conspiracy. How do you feel about theories? <laughs> I'm so serious. I'm so serious. I know it's funny, but the word conspiracy has really just been 
like is it a conspiracy if there's truth to it like is that a conspiracy is, i mean like a conspiracy the Webster's definition to, like, of conspiracy is should be the main starting point yeah and i think that like your definition of what you think a conspiracy theory is is stuff that's just perpetuated to create misinformation so that nobody knows anything besides anger when i don't think that's necessarily the truth of what everything blanketed as a conspiracy theory is like there's genuine research and genuinely intelligent people who have theories that people turn into conspiracy theories because they don't want to hear that like perspective. They don't want to hear that perspective because they only know that they can just go through life without being angry if they don't hear it. Jamie, to give you another example similar to the Ferguson thing, by your definition of conspiracy theories, police covering up a police shooting is a conspiracy theory that is a group of people working secretly in concert to give themselves a favorable outcome and to leverage the system in their favor that's a conspiracy theory and that's that's what i'm saying like the term conspiracy theory gets applied so broadly and it has such a negative connotation to it it's kind of like sex worker where people hear that and go all right well those aren't even people. When you hear conspiracy theory, people go, all right, well, that's not even worth listening to. I can't define the definition of conspiracy theory based off of people that are dismissive. I'm not going to allow that to be the definition of conspiracy theory. People are dismissive. Well, I mean, fuck them. Because that's people that are viewing conspiracy theory as a form of entertainment. I, I think that's what I'm saying. I think conspiracy theory should like yeah you should pay attention to it and point it out but i think at a larger degree how do you fix it you can see it you can point it out and fuck the definition of conspiracy theory i don't like uh, fuck that is made a cartoon out of what do you do about it as an individual at the end of the game do you just Pat yourself on the back for recognizing it, or do you do something about it? And the only thing that we can do is vote. That's all. That's the only power that we have. You keep asking that question like not being able to do anything about a problem means you shouldn't talk about it. That's insane. Yeah, that's the sex work thing you were just see. talking that's about fair. has no call to action. There's no call to action for the problems that we face, so there's no call to action for a lot of things other than screaming into the void, which is the same problem I had with writing my article. So, like, the research and that shit all that I did about sex workers, is that a conspiracy theory because there's no call to action? Okay, I'm, I'm figuring some stuff out. This Woo, is, this me and Jen win! Yeah! Uh, yes, yes, you should absolutely talk about it. There's no reason not to talk about it because even though it feels like you're screaming into the void, there's no such thing as an action that is too small. You know, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. She gets it. Right. As a white dude, I have to come up with something to scream into the void about. So just <laughs> but fucking it, but, let but me it have turns it. Out, like the the nice happy ending is that you're not screaming into a void. Screaming into you're a void is a is a manifestation of your like own insecurities. You're literally reaching other people, and again, butterfly effect in our favor. Some other person might hear that that has you know other abilities than you might have that could affect change. Is triggered by simply you screaming into the void, and that's fair. Yeah, I say it's yeah. all about I, voting because I think pragmatically that's all we have until later down the road shit will change. But yeah, there's no there's no reason not to say the things that you recognize. I get it. 
Yeah. Thank you. Well, That's thank all you. I'm saying. We did it. It's hard. We it's did really it. Hard though. I get it. I get it. It's really hard because conspiracy theories are thrown around like just stuff that is misinformation that's just out here to like raise a kerfuffle. And it's not like always that. And it just like with everything else, blanket statements do us no justice. It's not looking further into each situation. It's just saying that I don't want to hear it. Yeah. So, Jen, Adam, you, you guys, you reached a grumpy curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, baby. we should probably wrap it up. This is a lot. This was a really good episode. Thank you both. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Adam, thank, thank you so yo. much. Jen, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I'm as soon as we get off of here, I can't wait to see all your content. <laughs> Speaking of that, what do y'all have to plug? Jamie. Insofar as, uh, you know, keeping with the rules and Sesta Fosta, I won't go too lascivious. Uh, let's just say Shit. you can reach me. <laughs> do whatever you want. It's my goddamn podcast. Come at Fuck me, feds. So long as we're on Patreon, <laughs> who knows what fucking <laughs> rules they're following. Uh, let's just say uh, you can follow me at Twitter <clears throat> at uh, capital J, Jamie underscore french and uh i guess what else uh my patreon uh which is a prox pod and that's my you know that's where you can find every all the the weird things about me and my podcast and i guess that's that's it that's good that's a good start Jen, what do you got? I planned for this. Okay, so um, <laughs> you can always follow me on Instagram at Jen with two N's, L-M-N-O-P, like the chunk of the alphabet. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Jen Scott Loves You, you, not, not Y-O-U. And um, I have a list of girls that I've been working with that are also sex workers on Instagram that you can follow, and I'm going to read them really fast. Underscore Sun Gypsy, underscore Hex Hypo... Hex Hypo... Thoya, no, Hex Hypoxia, Midna, underscore Ash, Miss Adrian Park, Miss Crime Scene, Multi Fluffiness, Oh My, Stephanie Michelle, Plus Size Nova, Scuba Steph, The Juliet Michelle, and The Only Kita. I said them super fast. If you want any of those girls, you want the whole list, DM me. They're all great. I want you to support them, support sex workers. We're all coming out with a video this week we've all been working on. Watch for that. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> woo, woo. And uh, yeah, patreon.com slash unpops give us money so we can keep the network afloat and so i can send more edits to jamie they take so long now just please please oh. please give us money so i can pay people to do stuff uh <laughs> and uh that's it that's all we got let's get out of here jamie say goodbye goodbye jen say goodbye Bye-bye. goodbye everybody we love you Bye.